0: the lead pastor here at Searchlight. Today we're starting a new series called Financial Freedom. Now, what, you know, you think about that. What would financial freedom look like for you? I want you to think about that for a minute. Or do you feel financially free right now? Do we have a lot of people in this room that feel so free when it comes to their finances? (laughs) You know, it's funny because this is an area that of of great need. People get extremely stressed about finances. You've probably experienced that at least once in your life, right? Being stressed about money. And it sucks. It can just really like zap you of all of your strength and energy. It can, you can feel beat up when it comes to money. And most people don't realize that the Bible actually has a lot of wisdom in it about money. You don't normally think of, hey, my financial counselor is the Bible, you know. <laughs> um, but the Bible actually has 3,500 verses that relate to money in it. So God knows a lot about finances. And it's interesting because we're going to talk about the seven keys for financial freedom that are in the Bible. Um, and I'm going to introduce that today. And then in the in the sessions that we have coming up, we'll be talking about it in a little bit more detail and breaking this down, but it's wild because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago and some of it, you know, older than that, and yet the keys and the principles in the Bible are just as relevant today as if it was during 2,000 years ago. Things haven't even changed very much, and it's funny because um, when it comes to money and and the rules of money, money is not as mysterious as we think it is. There's just certain principles that work and certain principles that don't work, And so it's funny, um, Adam has a guy that's managed his finances for a long time, and he's like almost 90 years old, and um, he's brilliant. He's named one of the top money managers in Manhattan, and um, we met him for the first time recently and had lunch in New York, and he was saying, it's just fascinating, this guy's so wise, we, we just were riveted. For two hours, he's talking about money, 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 and he says... The reason he's been so successful is because it's not that mysterious. Things don't really change in the years. And he's been through many different, you know, uh, times financially. Because things really have not changed. Once you understand sort of the rules behind money, it's the same. So it's the same now at 90 as when he got into the business. uh, I think, I mean, I think he's been doing this for 70 years or something. So, or close to it. So it's pretty incredible. Anyway, um... The Bible speaks, I actually want to take you to a verse of scripture in Luke 16, is there's a lot of, uh, about money that's spiritual and how we relate to money. And so uh, I want to just to start off in this verse, Luke 16 and verse 10, it says, who is faith, "'He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much.'" And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to, to your trust true riches? I actually want to talk about this. So they're talking about money, and Jesus is saying, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in a lot. A lot of times people say, yeah, I might flake out in the small things, but give me something that really matters and I'll show up and rise to the occasion. Jesus says life doesn't work that way. That, that the way that life works is if you are faithful in small things. And Jesus is saying money is a small thing compared to the really important things in life. That, and tr- what are true riches? He's saying if you can't, he says right in this verse, if you can't be trusted to manage your money, the mammon, you can't be trusted with big things. The real riches, real riches, think about what real riches are in life. Because what really matters in life are things like people, like God, like relationships, the real riches. Think about what that represents in our lives. And yet, so often, the decisions that people make about money, where you set, a lot of people sell out their lives and their happiness and their joy and their peace for money. And we're going to talk about that, where you get into a, a, so much bondage financially that you got to work harder, work longer, and not be with the people that you care about. Or not be present because you're so worried and stressed about debt or about your finances that it hurts relationships. You know, it's the number one thing that couples, married people fight about is money. That's heartbreaking. And surely the fights wouldn't be happening if people had financial freedom and weren't wor- you know, worried about paying the bills. If you had plenty of money, would you really probably fight about it a lot? <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Um, so that's kind of a powerful thing. Jesus, it's kind of crazy. So we want to get where we are faithful in the small things like money and in managing our finances so that we can be trusted with true riches. Actually, I'll read the rest of this because it's kind of cool. Um, and it'll hit some of the keys that we're going to be talking about later is in verse 12. It says, and if, you've, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So that's kind of interesting, too, like being trustworthy with something that belongs to another person. Then how are you going to be able to manage it if it's yours? And then it says in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You know, it's just, it really shows, like Jesus is really saying, like that's kind of a big deal as far as is God number one in your life and calling the decisions? Is that where your thought and your heart and your life is? Or how much of your life is, revolves uh, and decisions revolve around money and finances? So, seven keys. Oh, actually, before we get to seven keys, I'm going to talk about... because. Um, Because this is just not God's will. God's will is that we would have peace in this area of our lives. God can bless us in this. And and his wisdom, his plans work. But seven signs you don't have financial freedom. I'm going to read some of these just to see if there might be some struggles out there. If my debt is growing or I'm making the minimum payment, it's not financial freedom. If that's the place. If your debt is getting bigger and bigger, or you're just making the minimum payment on what you owe, you're moving the wrong way. If you if I miss one paycheck and I can't pay my bills, you know, then that's a sign of not being financially free because emergencies come up. Um, actually, that relates to this next one, is I don't have six months' income put aside in savings. You know, a lot of people, that, like, are are living in a way that... There's no backup plan, and emergencies do happen. They shouldn't be so shocking. It is a part of life. It's guaranteed emergencies will happen. It's not like living with the expectation that that's not going to happen is not setting you up for success or for peace and be real surprised when something comes out of the blue. You 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 know, something goes wrong with your car or, you know, some medical thing or what have you. So I made at least one impulsive purchase last week we'll talk about that as well. Number 6 because my financial situation, because of my financial situation, I feel like I can't obey God. And number 7, I'm constantly stressed about money. So if maybe one of those things relates to you then this series is for you. <laughs> Cuz we're going to be talking about God's plan when it comes to finances. It says Uh, We're going to talk about these seven keys, starting with number one, is to have a godly plan, to have a plan over wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is not a financial strategy. Buying something and hoping you will have the money to pay for it, magically, somehow, is not a financial strategy. So, and the Bible speaks about this. We're going to actually be looking at a couple of verses um, on it. Hope is not a strategy. It's a lot of people think financial freedom has to do with what they earn, how much money they make. You know, Krista was just telling me that she was hearing a study, about a study where if you people that they talked to people that made 40,000 a year and said, "If you make what how much money would you need to make to feel financially free, to feel good about money, to not stress out anymore?" And the people that made 40,000 a year, they said, 60,000. 60,000 would make me feel like I have nothing to stress out about financially. And then they asked the people that made $60,000 a year, how much would make you would it take for you to feel comfortable and not worry about money? And they said 80,000. And then they asked the people that made $80,000 a year, how much would you need to make to feel financially comfortable? And they said 100,000. So it's kind of, it's not, everybody thinks that the key to this is if only I had more money, everything would be great. And this also relates to the thing of faithful and little, faithful and much. If you're overspending or spending more than what you have right now, it's, if you make more money, guess what? You're going to spend more than you make with more money as well. And that's just the way that it's, it's, you know, talks about this 2,000 years ago and nothing's really changed. So making a plan, and that's called a budget. <laughs> the, um, I actually want to take you to uh, Proverbs 13 and verse 16. Verse of scripture, it says, Every prudent man acts with knowledge. So part of this is being in reality about having the knowledge that you know what you're looking at as far as your finances. So what do you need to know? What's the knowledge you need to make wise decisions as far as finances? There's a few things that you need to know. Reality is your friend. You want to get the facts. It's a, and number one, you need to know, how much do I own? Number two, how much do I owe? Number three, how much do I earn? And number four, how much do I spend? Reality is your friend. And where's that money going? So you need to get the information and the facts. A prudent man, a wise man, acts with knowledge that knowing what you have uh, in this. Uh, another one, let's go to Proverbs 27 and verse 23. It says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Now, <laughs> okay, they're talking about sheep and stuff. So uh, that, that, th- those are the only things that have changed. But know it be diligent to know the state of your flocks today we might use the word stocks to know the state of your stocks not your flocks it's not it's just it was the way that they did business flocks related to how much they owned how much they uh, to their finances because it's an agricultural society and so it says and attend to your herds and then in verse 24 it says for riches are not forever nor does a crown endure to all generations. Money can go fast; it can disappear. It's not around, you know, if you're not wise with it. If you're saying, "I don't know where all my money goes," it's a sign that there's a problem. You know, how do I how do I go through all this? Where's all my money go? It's a warning light. Um, so you want to to embrace reality. I know part of this is that people don't look because the because it's painful to look at a lot of times just looking at finances. I've talked to many people where they're afraid to even really look at what their bills are, or really look at what they're spending because the picture is so uncomfortable because they don't want to see what's there and so living with the wishful thinking and that's why people get more and more into debt and debt just keeps escalating is not being in reality about what you're spending. The Bible, is part of this is embracing reality. Reality is your friend. You know, I always use the example as far as like to me, it's just, there's a lot in the Bible about that reality is your friend. It's like if you were in a room with a cobra in it, would you rather have the lights on or the lights off? Lights off makes you feel better. You can't see the cobra. You don't know that there's a problem. But I, I, I'm going to bet that you'd be a little bit safer with the lights on, to know that the cobra's in the room. So reality is your friend. It might not, you might not like what the reality is or what you see, but it's better to know than to not know and to be in ignorance. <clears throat> you know, it's, um, uh, let's actually look at one more. Uh, in Proverbs 21 and verse 5, this is all going to have a plan and no, like making a plan based on wisdom and reality, having a budget. Because Financial freedom is not about how much you make, it's about how much you spend. In Proverbs 21, in verse 5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. If you have a plan and you're faithful, that's it, faithful and plan. You have a good, solid, godly plan in your finances, it's going to pay off. It says, it will surely lead to plenty but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. If you make quick decisions like impulse buying, I mean, this is written over 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine that? It's saying if you have a plan and you're diligent and you're faithful, it leads to having money. If you make quick impulse decisions and not think things through and, you know, spend like you go out shopping for one thing, and all of a sudden, you go, oh, look at that. I think I, that's, that's on sale. I'm surely got to have that. It's on sale. I'm saving money. If you can't afford it, you're not saving money by buying things on sale. So you want to pl- tell your money ahead where it goes is a big part of planning and godly planning. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've been in so many, uh, um, I've had a really kind of crazy story in many ways, when it comes to finances, and so, um, I can relate to financial freedom is not about how much you make, but how much you spend, because there was a time in my life, I'm going to kind of roll out what I've, you know, some of the thing ups and downs I've been through in this, uh, but when I was younger, I made a lot of money, and, uh, I was 18, and that was in, like, 19, early, the mid-70s, and, um, Do the math, no. (laughs) um, But in the mid-70s, I was 18 years old, I was making $80,000 a year. Now, $80,000 a year in the mid-70s is a lot of money. It was probably the equivalent of hundreds of thousands because back then, houses in California were 20 grand, so uh, back in those days. So just to give you some idea. Um, But I was in absolute bondage financially. I wound up, I, I was working for this company for seven years, and at 23, uh, through some crazy things that um, I lost it all. And the thing is, is, I was spending more than I made at that time. Now, how, do, how is a girl my age spending more than that amount of money? It seems ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I had debt like you would not believe. And I lost everything overnight and had nothing in savings. And so I got kicked out of my house. I had a house on the beach. I, um... Uh, I, I, and I was so devastated. I was so destroyed. It was such a big bottom that I was laying on the floor of my home as they were like getting ready to cart me out. My friends actually physically had to carry me out of the house. I was just sobbing. I felt like I, I, I just, I felt horrible. I felt like such crap. I felt so low. I, it was the most humiliating thing in my life, and I, and I felt. It, it was shocking to me, it was such a wake-up call, because it was a time in my life that, I, that to see how much it destroyed me, I realized something's really off. I was like, "Wow, why am I feeling like my life is ruined because I'm losing every you know my finances?" And so I made a decision then, it took a while, because of the agony and coming through and whatever, um, to never have money mean that much to me, to not have my identity and my worth and my value put in money. And I, that was a time where I said, I'm only about serving you, God. I don't care about anything in my life, but walking with you and serving you, God. And so I moved into a a place that was, um, $100 a month and, uh, where people were like, it was like ghetto. There was people shooting all the time outside of my house, um, I had to hide my car for a long time because so that I could drive. I had to keep it hidden because they were calling and wanting to repossess it. And I worked as minimum wage as a security guard for I think it was like two bucks an hour was minimum wage back then or something. And I actually turned my life around. I had more peace living in that hundred dollar a month apartment with the disgusting orange shag carpeting that was filthy. And gunshots out my window. And I started, I I I wound up getting my checks and having little envelopes and putting had a budget and put them in the little envelopes. We're going to talk more about budgeting later. And I wound up saving enough that year to be able to go to seminary and not have to work. And so it has nothing to do with how much you make. It has to do with having a plan and some other things that some of the other things that I'm going to talk about but I felt free in a way I can't tell you I felt amazing I loved my life I had no stress about money at all it was just like I had people at my house I'd 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 buy like um I'd make big meals for 2 bucks that were delicious and have everybody over and people were so loved to come to my house for dinner that was like a big special treat I had make these amazing meals for $2 like it was a great time anyway Let's go to the second one, which is choose discipline over debt. So, we kind of started talking about that a little bit already. It's the second key to financial freedom. Choose discipline over debt. So, you want to put off instant gratification to receive greater rewards later on. One of the biggest traps is this thinking that of not waiting and putting things on credit where you're paying, you buy a TV for $1,500 and you pay, if you make the minimum payment, you pay three, four times what that TV cost and you're paying on it 10 years later and you still owe it. You know, as opposed to take the $200 a month or whatever your payments would be and put it in the bank until you have enough cash to buy it. During that whole crisis that I went through, I also decided once I paid my car off, because I had to hide my car. I, I mean, do you know how humiliating that is, having people call and look for you, and I'm trying to park at places that they're not going to find out where it is and then walk until I could get where I paid the car off? I have never taken a loan out since that time again. If I needed a car, I bought a used car for cash and waited till I could afford it. Because I never wanted to be in that circumstance again. But instead of buying things on credit because you need it now, so your shoes wear out, you know? I mean, so they look like garbage. It's like they're, it's not the end of the world, you know? It's just sort of like getting in the, in the lifestyle where you can put off immediate gratification. Um, yeah. Let me, actually, I'm going to read that because the Bible talks about debt being really bad in the Bible, you know? It's, uh... You know, it's in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, Owe no one anything except what? To love one another. We should not be owing people anything except for to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And in Psalm 37:21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. So it's, debt is just not good. It's a bad thing. It's a bondage. It's one of the big ways that people are in bondage of spending more than what you've got coming in and putting it on credit. And the credit card companies love it. You know, they're making a fortune on this interest and in fees. I forgot what I was, oh, God, I had the number someplace. The credit, the credit industry, I just read, just on fees alone for late charges, et cetera, they take in $2 billion a year on that. Even if you just got to where you were making um, the payment on time and not paying any fees, that by itself would make a big difference in terms of debt goes. Okay, key number four, I mean, sorry, number three, that was just number two. Number three is small steps. Discipline yourself in small financial ways. It's a snowball effect. You know how when you make a snowball, you take a snowball and you roll it around and you roll it around and it gets bigger and bigger? You know, I'd, I had heard actually, it's kind of funny, Einstein was, it's reportedly had said that, that the biggest power in the world is compound interest or something. It's, I, there's some quote like that, that, that he's famous for having said, there's some debate on whether he actually said it or not. But I heard that he said, he said at least something like it. So it's um, kind of interesting. But you can, for instance, make small decisions that, that make a big impact, like taking your lunch to work instead of eating lunch out. You know, if you did that, it can, you can save $2,400 at the end of the year you know, and buy the TV for cash or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> you can use it to pay down debt. You can replace a latte with a standard cup of coffee and you'll save $1,700 a year. Small steps like that, things of making small decisions with our finances can add up. And it's about <clears throat> being faithful in those things. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Let's look at Galatians 6.9. <clears throat> it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If you stay faithful and don't quit at doing these things, you will reap if you don't give up, if you don't lose heart. Uh, Step number four, and this is the one I would say, and the one that I probably know the best uh, because it's made the biggest impact on my life. It's the only one that there's a little bit of mystery in it, and that is, and I'm going to explain it, is put God first with your finances. Now, putting God first, I'm going to read you in the Bible. The Bible, actually, I know it sounds, if you're not familiar with this, The Bible, God actually says that we are to give the first 10% of everything that we earn to him and that that is how we show that we trust God with our finances. It's called the tithe in the Bible. The word tithe means a tenth, 10%. I don't know why God came up with the exact amount, you know, as far as like what he considers really trusting him. The New Testament says that we are to sow generously, you know, the tithe in the Old Testament was just sort of the minimum debt. So, I, so we've got putting those together generously is when you're trusting God to give beyond that. And I have to say, this is the one thing that I've gotten, that I've really stayed committed to. And this is when crazy things happen as far as in your finances of trusting God, where it doesn't make sense. This is the times... Because there have been times I've definitely slipped on the budgeting end, or I've slipped on the savings end, or slipped on some of these other things. But I've stayed. In, uh, I, I was taught when I first got saved and came to know Jesus as Lord. I was taught tithing, and so I think I was 13 or 14 years old when I started tithing. And there have been times where I related to it in very strange ways. I remember when I was making a lot of money and was tithing. Um, I started. <laughs> I had this really strange attitude, which now I'm embarrassed about, um, where I had this idea that it was like you tithe and God makes you richer, that the whole point of tithing was somehow, I was really relating to it like it was all about money, like just giving my 10%, and I was just like, well, how come I'm not getting richer? I was, and I was making 80000 a year, I wanted more, and I was, I know, people are making faces, I don't blame you, it's kind of creepy. So, um, you know, it was creepy that I'm relating in a way, like, where's mine, God? Like, I, I put money in the offering, and the next, you know, month I'm going, well, my income didn't go up. What happened to that? You know, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Like, you just put the money in, and you just get richer. And part of this was the, what I've really noticed as far as a change of heart is God does do amazing things, but part of the relating to tithing is the sacrifice of the 10% of saying, I'm not loving my money. I'm not living. The Bible talks about living with an open hand to give instead of a closed fist. Take your hand and open it. Okay, now squeeze it tight with a fist. That feels tense, doesn't it? The Bible says that we are to live with an open hand as far as giving generously goes, kind of a thing. And so in tithing, I've recognized that that it's letting go and saying, I'm okay with living on less to honor God, that that's a part of our worship and honoring God and acknowledging that everything we have is because of God, you know, that I don't have what I have, you know, God made me, God made everything. It's honoring God of being grateful for what he has done and what he's already given us. And so it's, Um, because I had a conversation with somebody recently, too, is just like, well, I'm giving 10%, and I can't pay my bills that way. I'm like, well, part of it is you're supposed to spend less in order to do it. It doesn't, like, come on, mathematically, you can't, like, just give your 10% and spend the same, and somehow he was kind of relating to it the same way I was with my 80,000, where's my extra money? So, but on the other hand, what I would say is, what I have seen is I've seen when I've been faithful at tithing, God's covered for for has definitely blessed me financially and even covered for areas that I have not like had it com- made the best decisions or um had the best budgeting and I've seen God work on that. So there is some what of that's where checks come out of no place that have no make no sense and God blesses you with it. So I'm a I've just seen this be something that um it is the, what God has said as far as what faith looks like. Actually, let's look at the verse Malachi. There's a whole lot of verses about this, but Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hope, hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So this is really interesting because, you know, God talks about in the positive way, put him to the test. He's saying, you tithe, give me your first 10%, not leftover. God actually calls it even the first 10% because it's an act of faith and trusting him. He says, you do that, and he says, test me if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. Which is pretty cool. But it's a part of how we get our hearts right to not be so hanging on to money. You know, where we don't have that... that um, I call it kind of a hoarding mentality. It's mine, mine, mine. Like Schmeagol or, you know, like Gollum. Like, my precious, you know. It's just sort of like, my wing. You know, it's just sort of like that you relate to money that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Where it's just sort of like that we got this little tight fist. That's mine. What could I do with that? You know? Anyway. That's how I see it. That's the, my little mental picture. Okay. Um, in Acts 20 and verse 35, it says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a blessing. Like getting in the spirit that we live in a spirit of being generous. It's just, it's just a sweet way to live. It really is in the closed-fisted living. And then in Proverbs uh, 3 and verse 9, It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit. Remember, it's the first of all of your increase. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It does say there's promises. All the promises relating to God prospering us and taking care of our physical needs relate to us taking the first step of faith, which is giving and tithing. Um, And there's many things in here, many verses like that. It says, give and guess what? God's going to bless you and take care Okay. Step number five, because we're going to, uh, this is just an overview. We'll be getting into the details as the, of all of these. Step five is start saving now to have six months earnings in the bank, that your goal should be to have six months in the bank. And it's a long process if you're not there yet. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who's got a wonderful course on finance, if you're interested in it, and he's got a great book. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it's good. Um, Anyway, Dave Ramsey, you can look up his stuff. So he talks about it first. If you don't have that, at least shoot for getting your first $1,000 in the bank so that you've got something there for emergencies to cover you. Uh, And so it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. So it says even what they recommend is you give your first 10% to God. The second 10% you either use to pay down debt if you have it or you put that into savings. So it's like 10% to God, 10% to debt, and if then the third 10% will go into savings. So, um, savings account. Okay. Um, Let's actually go to Proverbs 13 and verse 11. It says, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. So it's over time. And another one, Proverbs 21 and verse 20, it says, there's desirable treasure... And in the oil of the dwelling of the wise. and oil, Sorry, and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man squanders it. So it's saying it's good to, like somebody wise has things saved up. The foolish person spends everything that they get. You know, it's just foolish man squanders it. Wise man saves for the future. Number six, the sixth principle, which we're going to be talking about. I love this one too. It says the principle of contentment. To enjoy what you have. The greatest things in life are not things. Um, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And again, it's like, you know, we don't want to be in a place where our, our yearnings exceed our earnings. Where what we want is beyond what we have. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. "'For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. "'And having food and clothing, with this we shall be content. "'But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, "'and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. "'For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil.' for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want to kind of break this down because there's so many good things like this. It's like if you walk with God and you're contented with what you have, it's great gain. That's the lifestyle that we want to have, that there's great gain in that. And then it says we want to relate. This is so interesting to me. It says have food and clothing to be content. You know what's funny? It doesn't even say have a roof over your head. We should be content if we got food in our bellies and we got clothes on our backs, we should be blessed. That's pretty minimal. <laughs> but we want to get in the place that, we're, that, we, that our lives and what makes us happy is not stuff. That we're not living where we need stuff to make us happy. There's another verse of, in the Bible that says that, the, you know, that you spend money on things that you're not even happy about. Like you spend money and then it doesn't make you any happier, does it? You think it's going to, like material things and acquisition, but it's not what life is about. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's about God. Like walking with God and being content with what you have, that there's great gain in that. And no matter where, the apostle Paul said, said, whether I abase or whether I abound, I'm content. If I have a lot or a little, I'm going to be blessed with what I got. There's actually another verse uh, of that too. But let me just kind of break this down. It says those who desire to be rich, like if you're sitting there longing for more, there's no peace in that. That by itself is a bondage, looking at what else you don't got. You don't got the new iPhone, you, don't, you know what I'm saying, or you don't have the newest car, or, or whatever it is. You know, designer shoes, bags, whatever the whole, like, like, looking at what you don't have is misery. It just, it's a bondage is get focused on the things, the true riches. It says, but those, uh, let's see. And it says, it's a snare, it's a trap to be de- desiring more like that and fall into foolish and harmful mu- lust, which drown you. It brings you to the bottom. And it's not money that's evil. There's nothing wrong with money. The Bible never says money itself is evil. It says the love, it's, it's putting too much value in money, is the root of evil, that having so much attachment, it, it messes all kinds of things up. People, because of wanting more and not wanting to live within their means, aren't home for their families. you got to work extra hours, you know, get an extra job, side jobs, et cetera, looking for, you know, in jobs that kill you and, you're, you know, you're never home. Like, really, what kind of life is that for stuff? It's, um, Yeah. Many sorrows. Part of the, the sorrows, there's two sides, is the greed and also worry, stress, stressing out about that. Uh, here's another one in, in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 5. This is a good one to put on the back of your credit card. <laughs> it says, let your conduct be without covetousness or wanting more. Be content with such things as you have. Just take that part. Hebrews 13, cut out that. Be content with such things as you have. Print it up. Stick it on the back of a credit card. Wouldn't that help? Stick it on the back over the over the the part with the you know with the swipe thing. Be content with what you have. <laughs> we want to get in that mentality that we're at peace with that. Okay. And then our last thing that I want to uh, uh, say is the seventh key is to start today. You know, think about the decisions that if you've been thinking about this. Oh, I should you know make a budget. Oh, I should spend less. Oh, I should start saving. Whatever things that you've thought about. Oh, I should start giving. You know, if you thought about it a year ago and haven't moved on it, where would you have be if you if you made a decision a year ago to do something, to really take a you'd be in a better place today. It's to not procrastinate, to make small decisions. Now, part of it you can decide, make decisions today. I am sick of being in debt. I'm not doing it anymore. I am not going to buy anything to add to my debt. You can pray about it. You can make a decision to pray. The things you pray for, you're inviting God into. Make a decision every day to pray about honoring God with your finances and getting to a place that's more peaceful. Of just seeking God out and saying, God, I want you in this part of my life. I'm not happy with where I'm at with this. This is not blessing me. Help me to make the changes. Give me the strength to make the changes that are difficult that I need to make in this. I want to honor you. Pray, praying. You know, or making some of the small decisions. Maybe it's the latte, maybe it's packing lunch, you know, etc. You know, taking a look, making a budget, getting in reality. But make a decision today as to what you can move on. So let me just review this before we Um, close. Seven keys to financial freedom. I think we even have that. Here we go. Have a godly plan. Get rid of wishful thinking and budget. That the plan is not wishful thinking. To choose discipline over debt, number two. Small steps have a snowball effect. To make decisions, even small ones, makes a difference. In verse four, I mean number four, uh, put God first, tithe with your first 10%. Number five, start savings to have six months earning in the bank. The second 10% Say is save or pay down debt. Learn to be content with what you have and start today. You can start with prayer or making a decision or really deciding what are the first steps that you can take in this. You know, so anyway, this is just a little teaser we're going to get into Big stuff because this is an area that can change your life and bring you so much. Just think of what it could be if you never worried about money again. How would that be awesome to not have that anxiety, to not have that in your life? It's possible. God wants us to feel financially free, to not be in bondage. It's so, it takes small te- steps, it takes process, it takes time. But starting now, and, and just having a commitment to keep moving towards this really makes a big difference. Maybe one of your commitments is to come each week for this series. You know, maybe that's it. Just saying, okay, I'm going to be here, God, every week so I can learn all that I can to turn this around. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. Um, and that you care about all parts of our life, that you're God Almighty. You created all, everything and that you're not you know what you're talking about when it comes to these matters of finance. It blows my mind, but actually just blesses me a lot, that there's so much wisdom in your word, God, about finances and how we can be financially free. And I just pray for everybody here right now that you would let them know that, you're, that they're not alone right now in this, that it's not all on their shoulders, that you can be there to hold their hand in this, that they don't have to feel like the weight of the world, that, God, all things are possible through you one step at a time, one day at a time. Thank you. Amen.